Somebody asked me last night why are you attending this event? Why are you going to speak at this event? Do you really need this? Do you really have to entangle yourself with this conversation that is so complex, so complicated, so sensitive, so painful, sometimes so controversial? I looked at them I said, because I have heard and seen too much. Depriving me of the bliss and the serenity of not attending and speaking at such an event. But to you, I want to say that the real reason I am here to speak is because I and we, and I don't mean we, everybody in this room, I mean we, certain people sitting in this room, and certain people who should be sitting in this room, and certain people who will in the future sit in this room, or will hear it or watch it globally, are here at the end of a year, before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, of a new year, to do the classic Jewish thing that Jews have done for thousands of years before Yom Kippur. And that is, I'm here to ask forgiveness. For what? I am here to ask forgiveness for the fact that so many of us have ignored consciously or unconsciously, willingly or inadvertently, because of fear or because of ignorance. But we have ignored the silent cry of so many young, beautiful souls whose lives have been affected and sometimes shattered as a result of the abuse they experienced at their most formative, vulnerable, innocent years. What comes to me to mind tonight as I was sitting here is a Pasuk, a verse. It's one of the most stirring verses in the whole of Tanakh. It's in Genesis, in Veracious, in Parshish Miketz. Reuven turns to his brothers who have been imprisoned by the Prime Minister of Egypt and he says these words. Avol ashemim anachnu. We are guilty. Why? Alachenu. Because of our brother. Asherainu tzoras nafshoi b'ischanen o'yeleinu v'loi shamanu. We have seen the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, but we did not listen. This is the first time we find out that Yosef was pleading for compassion. We never knew that. 
In Vayeshev, when they threw him into the pit, it doesn't say once that Yosef asked for Rachmanus. We, we never knew he did. Only in Parshas Mikates does Reuven tell his brothers, you heard him, you heard him, you saw him. You saw him. But Loishamana, we didn't listen. Why doesn't the Torah say it happened? Perhaps, perhaps, some people ask for compassion verbally. And sometimes the pain is too deep to articulate verbally. How many people sitting in this room or watching this or listening to this have been silent for 10, 20, 30 years? Not because the pain wasn't there, because it was so deep it couldn't be articulated in words. And Reuven tells his brothers, Tonight I ask forgiveness because there were so many children, and there are so many children, who were languishing in a pit, in the pit, in the abyss. And so many of us chose or inadvertently ended up not listening. We did not observe the mitzvah of Ashakidishanu, the mitzvah of Itzivanu, Lishmoya Koil Shoifer. The mitzvah is not to blow the shoifer, the mitzvah is to hear the voice of the shoifer. But why a shoifer? If God wants to hear a screaming, he should say on Rosh Hashanah, get up and go, woo, why a ram's horn? And the great masters of Hasidus explain that primal pain can't be articulated even in a human voice. There is pain that can be articulated in words. There is agony that can't be articulated in words, but it can be articulated in a cry. Ah! And then there is agony, there is distress that can't be articulated even in a cry. It's called Kola Pnimo Deloi Shtama. It's an internal, intimate voice that is not audible. And the shaifer represents a primal voice from the core of the soul that we don't even have the ability to articulate through our own lips. We must go to that innocent, primal animal to articulate that coil. And we are responsible for Shmoya Kol and how many children over the last few decades were blowing this shoifer not with their own voice because their voice was taken from them and we did not hear the kol shoifer. So tonight I turn to many people sitting in this room and all around the world and I say, we ask your forgiveness. We often judged you. We often ignored you. We misunderstood you, we criticized you, we rebuked you, some of us with good intentions, but we did not hear the Kol Shoifer. We ignored the Kol Shoifer. We were not ready to go out of our paradigms. We were not ready to go out of our comfort zones. We were not ready to open ourselves up to the reality. He tells me a few days ago that an 18-year-old yeshiva boy declared himself in yeshiva as an atheist. His teacher rebuked him and said, how can a Jewish boy publicly declare himself as an atheist? It's heresy. It's despicable. It's kfira. It's apikursus. It's heresy. And this therapist tells me that the boy trusts him. And the boy came to him, 18 years old, 
And he said, I'll tell you why I became an atheist. And this is what this boy said. For three years, when I was seven, when I was eight, when I was nine, each night, when I would go to bed, I would turn to Hashem, I would turn to the Rebbein Shalom, and I would say, save me. Save me from the babysitter, a relative. Save me from the babysitter. For three years I begged for the creator of the world to rescue me from the babysitter. I asked, kill the babysitter or let him move somewhere. He should not show up in my home. And he tells the therapist, I was unanswered. I'm 18 today. I have two choices. Choice number one, if I believe in God, I have to reach the conclusion that Rahman al-Islam is so cruel, he's so sadistic. And I don't want to believe that Hashem is cruel, so I chose the second option, to believe that He doesn't exist. I want you to understand the atheism of this 18-year-old contains such a sensitive, refined spirituality and amuna. You know why he's an atheist? Because he can't get himself to say that God is not a kerach lechana. Oichmer an atheist. Oichmer an atheist. Halavaya fasach ma'aminim gezogt. I won't translate it. I look at this 18-year-old boy and I reach conclusions. But my question to me, to us is, you're criticizing this boy. Where were you for three years when he was languishing in a pit? Where were you for three years when night after night, his soul, his heart, his psyche was shattered and destroyed? Where were we? Then the child was alone. He was in a solitary confinement. He was completely separated, segregated. Ten years later, the symptoms begin emerging. And people are appalled by his or her behavior. And for this, all we can say today is, we're so sorry. But, in Judaism, remorse for the past is almost insignificant if it doesn't come with resolve for the future. So I think we're here tonight to take a shoifer and to blow four sounds. Tkia, Shvarim, Trua, Tkia. The first sound, the first call is a call to the community. Not only a call to this community, but a call to every Jewish community. And every community here in New York, in the United States, and the world over. And the call is Tkia. We have to start blowing Tkias. The years of silence, of apathy, of covering it up, of ignoring the reality.
must be transformed into a tkiyah, into an age of awareness, an age of sensitivity, an age of education, and an age of fearlessly addressing and confronting this terrible tragedy and malady in our midst that sometimes every day and every night and perhaps as I speak, Rahman al-Islam is claiming the innocent, beautiful souls of young boys and girls, symptoms which may emerge decades later, depriving them from the ability to have a functional relationship, a functional marriage, a functional intimate life, depriving them from confidence, from faith, from, from Avas Hashem, from Yiras Hashem, from a celebration of life, from a celebration of Yiddishkeit, from a life that's filled with Simcha Sachayim, from a life in which they believe that God has put them in this world with a mission, with love, all deprived and shattered sometimes, from years of nightmares and dreams, from years of, of self-denigration and guilt and shame and embarrassment, sometimes to the point of reflecting upon the worst of taking their own lives, which has so sadly occurred again and again and again, even in most recent days and weeks. Hashem Yishmerena. Tkia, We have to educate ourselves, especially people in education. I'm a teacher. Some of us are teachers. Teachers, principals, Rosh Yeshivas, Mashgichim, Mashpiyim, rabbis, spiritual leaders. We have to educate ourselves. I didn't know about it. I didn't know about it. But then, quite a number of years ago, people started to come. There was a particular individual who has approached me when he was 14 years old about different issues. I tried to help him for 10 years. Everything I gave him, I did, all advice I gave him, he did the exact opposite. Which made me, of course, feel very good. He was 29, I remember he came to my apartment one night, he was 29. I've known this kid for more than 15 years. And we spoke for another three hours. He got into every, he got himself entangled into every problem on the face of this planet. What he has been through the roller coaster of his life has been, as the expression is, from the highest heavens to the lowest abyss. And finally, at the age of 29, I know this kid for 60 years, he leaves my apartment at 1 in the morning and he's walking down the steps. And I look at him and say, maybe you'll finally tell me the real truth about you, which I still don't know. And he leaves the building and the door a little bit open. He says, I was molested for four years and you're the first person I'm telling. At the age of 29. And a lightning bulb went off in my head. Wow. I, the Grosser was trying to analyze, dissect, give advice. I didn't hear the Kol Shoifer. He never articulated in words. And I, he didn't hear the Kol Shoifer. And when this happens again and again and again and again, we realize that we have to educate ourselves. We have to become aware. Parents must educate ourselves, educate our children in appropriate, modest, and sensitive, sensitive ways. But silence, Rabbi say, is not an option anymore. That's message number one to the community, Tkia. Message number two, our two victims and two survivors. 
And to you we say Shvarim, Trua, and then Tkia. We know some of you have been broken. Not all of you. There are survivors who have not been broken. But there are many who have been broken. Some of you Shvarim and some of you Trua. Do you know the difference? The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah Aflamad Gimel, Shvarim is the sound of a sigh, a crack. Ooh, ooh, It's a sigh. What about Trua? Trua is a sob. There's two different types of people who are broken. There are people who are broken in a very deep place. All they can do is sigh, sometimes with a voice and sometimes without a voice. And then there's a true, and there's those who sob. And today we tell you, survivors and victims, we will be here for you in your shvarim and your truah. We will stop denying your stories. We will stop delegitimizing you. We will stop telling you, stop exaggerating. Get on with your life. dismiss you as just having some difficulties. We will gaze at your shvarim in awe, in reverence, in humility, and to the best of our ability we will try to be here for you and we beg you, those who are here and those who are everywhere, speak up. We will not blame you anymore. Speak up. Don't with intense darkness don't blame yourself we will not judge you we will not denigrate you we will never blame you we will embrace you and we will follow God's commandment to Moses the first time he stood in front of a bush that was burning in pain but it was not being consumed because that's the survivor he burns, she burns. But often doesn't let themselves be eaten up and destroyed. And what did Hashem tell Moshe? Remove your feet, remove your shoes from your feet because you're standing on holy soil. When you're standing in the presence of a survivor, you're standing in front of holiness. 
because people because people who have been tested in such ways trust me operate on a different level of consciousness they see life differently they see death differently they see love differently and they see truth and falsehood differently they live in a different plateau and those who are lucky not to experience that pain must stand in humility and we must remove our shoes. And instead of philosophizing and theologizing and rationalizing and justifying and ignoring and explaining and telling stories, we must say, I'm here. And I'm here to stay. And I'm not here to explain. I'm here to empathize. I'm here to embrace. I'm here to support. My dear holy brothers and sisters, this time around, Speak up and you will be embraced. Speak up and you will be loved. Speak up and you will be cherished. Because I and we refuse to believe that you, the destiny of your life ends with a shvarim and a trua. I and you firmly believe that after your shvarim and trua, you are capable of experiencing not only a tkia, but a tkia bidailah. You are capable of experiencing not only, you see, the innocent ones among us whose dreams have not been shattered remain in the state of tkia, wholesomeness, innocence. Some of you have been chosen to go down the route of shvarim and trua. But after shvarim and trua comes a tkia gedoyla, a sense of wholesomeness that the original innocence of Tia could never achieve. Why? Because I, in the tradition of our forefathers and masters for 4,000 years, refuse to believe that an abuser, that a molester, is capable of destroying the core of your soul. There is a core in your personality. There is a core in your psyche that is indestructible. This doesn't desensitize us from the tremendous pain and agony, the nights of despair and the days of tears. But we, every one of us, must remember, we will never accept the truth of the idea that your core has been shattered by a person who decided to shatter it willingly or inadvertently. We know that at the core of your personality, which is a chelek, eloita, mimal, mamash. The opening words of the second chapter of Tanya, that the Rebbe wanted to inculcate in every Jew. Just like no abuser can destroy God, just like no abuser can shatter chas v'shalom, the shalom, the creator of the world, no force and abuser in the world can shatter the core, the essence, of your mind, of your heart, of your soul, there is a place in you that remains confident, wholesome, determined, ambitious, happy. I know, I know. Meira said it may take millions of tears to excavate it. But don't give up. And we're here. We're here to say we love you, we respect you, we cherish you and we cheer for you. Yosef HaTzadik languished in a pit. But it was he who emerged. Not only successful, he is the one who saved.
the planet from famine. He is the one who saved his own family from famine. He is the one who emerged with a with the ultimate wholesome innocence. Survivors, you may need us, but let me tell you something. We need you a lot more. A lot more than you need us, and I'll tell you why. We are in many ways a very broken generation. Sometimes so broken we don't even know we're broken. And who are the ones who are going to teach all of us how to emerge from our shvarim and our trua into a tkiyagdayla? It's going to be you, the survivors, who will not accept a prediction that your life is hopeless, that you are eternal victims, that you must feel guilt and shame and denigration every day, that you must go to sleep and can't fall asleep. It is you who will refuse to accept the verdict that you're ruined, that you're shamed, that you're damaged goods, that you belong in the dustbin. Because those thoughts are powerful, but they are ultimately external thoughts. Those thoughts are coming from a part in you, the Yetzirah, that is eclipsing the infinite ocean of your power, of your ferocious, psychological, emotional, spiritual, physical, and godly power that comes from a place that nobody can ever destroy. We need your shvarim, your trua, and we believe in your tkiyagdayla, and we beg you that you should believe in your tkiyagdayla. You should believe and never ever allow a monster's actions to plant serious doubt in your brain that God has made a mistake when he created you. That God, that God has created and continues to give life to somebody who is worthless and meaningless. Call number three. This is a difficult one. Our two perpetrators and potential perpetrators. Listening this evening, our 14, 15, 17, 21, 31 year old people who may be struggling. In fact, you probably were abused yourself. Your intimacy has been violated. You have no boundaries. You have no boundaries. You don't respect yourself. You're addicted to lots of stuff that are pretty destructive. And you have this terrible urge. And I know that in many ways you're a good person. You may even be a God-fearing person. You may even go to the mikveh every day and put on two pairs of tefillin. And you may even pray to God and say, Hashem, help me. But I turn to you, all your potential perpetrators, and tell you, don't allow yourself to become a murderer. You can do much better. You don't deserve to live a life in which you will forever know or find out that you snuffed out a soul. Because remember, when you murder somebody, you die too in the process.
And that person at least will not be able, will be able to say, I didn't do it. You won't. Give yourself a better life. There's help out there. There's help out there. Ask for it. It's confidential. Get yourself help. Fight your battle. Don't be a roidig. Don't be a roidzeach. You deserve much better for yourself, for your future, for your future children. There's another path. And for those who fell prey, who stumbled. Be what you're capable of being. Do real tshuva. Ask forgiveness. Confront your disease. Make real amends. You won't be disrespected. Our greatest heroes are the real Balin Shuva. Get real help. Stop running away from dark demons that are causing you to claim lives. We deserve better. You deserve better. And then there is our call to all of the blessed activists, the Askonim, all those who have taken it upon themselves to confront this malady, to confront this tragedy. And I turn to you today, my dear brothers, my dear friends, and I say one thing, one thing. Never allow yourself to be driven by revenge, by vengeance, by impulse. Your, our objective, thank you, is one thing and one thing only. And that is to protect our children, to heal our victims, and to stop, to stop this tragedy once and for all to the best of our ability. You be driven by one and only one purpose. And that is, never sheer anger or letting out steam. Never. Only by one objective, and the objective is, to fight for God's children, to fight for the innocent, to be there for them, to stand up for them, to protect them, to do justice when justice has to be done. And I have to emphasize this in this evening, even though it's not officially part of protocol. And that is, my heart still shudders of those individuals who wanting to defame an enemy, found a target, and began publicizing that they have been molested. Let's remember, don't use this new arousal to protect real innocent victims. To think that you're going to get away by accusing innocent people. We're not going to be guided by controversy, by politics, by external falsehoods, by rumors, by what this one wants and that one wants. We must stand up for MS, for truth. Truth will prevail. MS Hashem Liyoyloh. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Asaph was a redhead and David was a redhead. But there was a difference. Asaph heirig midas atzmoi, the David nishal the Sanhedrin. 
Esau was a redhead. He was a hot-blooded person. He killed because he was impulsive. David was also very ambitious and warm and passionate. But David had a God. David had a Sanhedrin. David had a Torah. David fought for truth. And if there's one area where truth is the most important, it's in this very sensitive subject. My friends, I want to conclude with this story. There was a Jew, some of you know his name. Some of you have heard his name. Adam Gadol. Rabbi Michal Ber Weissmandel. Rabbi Michal Ber Weissmandel was a Hungarian Rav from Slovakia. The son-in-law of the Nitra Rav. And it's quite unbelievable. But he negotiated with Adolf Eichmann and Achshemoy to liberate Hungarian Jews for money. The number was supposed to be two million U.S. dollars. Two million U.S. dollars for one million Jews who lived in Hungary and around Hungary. Rabbi Weissmann never got the money. Hungarian Jewry was decimated. In 1944, the end of the war, the Germans were murdering 24,000 Jews a day in Auschwitz. Weissmandel, Rabbi Michal Ber, lost his wife and children. He, he jumped out of the train going to Auschwitz. He broke his leg. He survived the war and he built the yeshiva in uh, Mount Kisco. He died a broken man in 1958. Ber. I want to face something that happened. Rabbi Michal Ber, after the war, came back to the city of Nitra, where his father-in-law, Ravunga, the Nitra Rav, the famous Nitra Rav, was a Rav, and he went there, he learned by him, he came from the Debrez, Debrezin, he went to Nitra, he became his son-in-law. And he went back to Nitra after the war, it was the first Yom Tif. It was the first Yom Tif, and many of the survivors who were there came to the big shul that still stood in Nitra. And Reb Michal Ber Weissmandel, his father-in-law wasn't around anymore, stood up. And this is what he said. He said, Rabbi Sai, if my father-in-law the Nitra Rav was here. You know what announcement he would make right now. He would say, Rabbi Sai, Sadav Zayn still in Shul. We still make those announcements. Sadav Zayn still in Shul. Decorum, silence, respect in the Shul. And my grandfather, my father in law, would see the kids running around. And he would say, Kinder, Kinder. Kinder, medav sein still. Respect for this Torah, respect for Hashem, respect for davening. If you want to make noise, Kinderlach, go out. Go out. You can play outside. But here, you have to be quiet. Michal Ber Weissmandel said, that's what my father-in-law would announce. But today, I'm going to make a very different announcement. He said, if there are any children in this show, please make noise. Please scream. Please jump. Please giggle. Please run around. And the response was absolute silence. You know why? Because there were no children. There were no children left. Rabbi Michal Ber lost his children. 
and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more Jewish families lost one and a half million children. The shul remained silent. Reb Michal Ber wept for the sounds of children making noise, ruckus, commotion that he yearned for. We turn today to all of our children and say, please don't be silent anymore. Make a ruckus. Talk to us. Teenagers, talk to us. Young men and women, talk. There are people who will listen. We swear to you, this time there will be people who will listen. Talk. Parents, teach your children to speak to you. Communicate with them. Guide them, direct them, sensitively, respectfully, modestly, according to Shulchan Aruch, but guide them, be there with them, watch them, embrace them, be present and listen. Listen to their call, Shaifer. So tonight we say, Tkia, Shvarim, Trua. But we believe that from all of the Shvarims and Truas, we're going to usher in a Tkia, Gdoila, Bimheira, Biyamenu, Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you.